It has been a busy few weeks on and off the blue carpet, with high drama at the Commonwealth Games as Alex Yee and Flora Duffy won the individual golds in England the mixed relay, a brilliant WTPS Swansea that saw the top tier of paratriathlon racing hit Wales for the UK's first ever standalone Paris Series action, and most recently, attention has turned to Chamorin and the aquathlon and long-distance triathlon world champs sandwiching the PTO Collins Cup in Slovakia. The first and last of those races saw a certain Hayden Wild in the spotlight, and it is to New Zealand that we turn for this episode of the World Triathlon Podcast to discuss all that and more with the man who has helped to steer a raw multi-sport talent that he spotted back in 2016 into a world championship contender and Olympic medalist. Hope you enjoy it. New Zealand's Craig Kirkwood was an international runner and Ironman triathlete himself before taking up the mantle of elite coach, honing the talents of Hayden Wilde and runner Sam Tanner to name but two. Wilde's ascension has been as eye-catching as it has been exhilarating for the sport and you suspect the best is still to come from him. So Craig, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Yeah, uh, thanks very much for having me on. Yep, I'm back in uh, freezing cold of New Zealand winter at the moment. So um spent the last kind of eight weeks or so in Europe in, in the summer and now I'm home in the cold, wishing, wishing I was back in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> the roaming continues then. How much in a, is there such a thing as an average year and how much do you, do you spend in Europe or indeed chasing your athletes around the circuit and then how much do you get to be back home? Um, yeah, like the, the times away are pretty limited. I, don't, I try not to get away too much, but um, pre-games it was good to get away and just have a stint um with Hayden prior to the to the championships and um yeah it was definitely worthwhile so um but yeah I mean I try I try not to get away for too much of the of the year uh I said in the intro that we suspect the best is still to come from Hayden um is it oh I hope so <laughs> <laughs> um he's been progressing every year that we've been working together so um from 2016 through to through to now and um yeah I don't see any reason why um that ascent should slow down how how is the uh the stable at the moment for you how many athletes are you working with and um I mean presumably that's a huge part of the reason why you need to spend time back home as well right yeah that's right yeah so I have a I have a group of um Oh, adult athletes, we'll call them, um, a mix of runners and triathletes, and they um, probably number about 25 or so of them. And then I, I've got a junior group of about, oh, I don't know, 15 or so, who, um, yeah, just kind of high school age kids who are either runners or triathletes and kind of working their way towards their goals. So, um, yeah, it keeps me busy. And, yeah, it's part of the reason I um, like to be home a lot of the time but also got a got a family here and um other obligations so um yeah kind of be be here for them as well yeah so ck coaching your what kind of variety of or range of talent and uh, and uh sort of level are you working with there oh look to be honest like when i first started coaching um it was all just about um helping anyone who had a had a bit of a, a you know, a goal and a desire and a bit of passion and wanted to, wanted to try and better themselves. And, um, I've tried to maintain that level as well as, as much as I can. So I've got, I've got some guys who he ran a, not quite a PB, but close to his marathon PB last week. And that was, you know, three hours and 52 minutes. So, um, and then, you know, from some, for someone like him right through to Hayden or Sam Tanner, you know, who's one of the best in the world. Um, so it's a huge range. Um, but, 
I find both ends of the spectrum equally as rewarding. Um, I just love seeing, you know, people just achieve their goals and just, you know, being stoked with how, how everything's going. Yeah. That's what kind of drives me. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, at the same time, the world of an Olympic medalist and, uh, you know, just sub four hour marathon. I mean, that's got to test your, your skills as well. Right. I mean, (laughs) How do you keep on top of, and, and for, <laughs> at the same time, for those people you're, you're coaching at, at that, that other level, um, yeah, to know you've got got that in the locker and <laughs> being able to convert that sort of talent has is, is got to be very exciting for them as well. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's awesome working with um, with the whole spectrum, and I, I, you know, like I said, I really enjoy just helping them get to where they want to go, and I um, mean, obviously their trainings are hugely different. Um, but when everyone's here in Tauranga, um, you know, mainly during the summer here, we, you know, we have the, those same two athletes on a Saturday morning doing a, a workout, you know, maybe not together, but on the same bit of road or, um, and so, you know, we try and try and keep it pretty, pretty normal for everyone. Um, and that they, they're just doing their workout at their own level. Um, and just, you know, there's, there's groups of people who go off and do the session and, um, not everyone can run as fast as Hayden or Sam does. does so. Well, to, to take it back to, you know, you coming out of being an athlete yourself and into coaching, what um, was that a, a path that fairly quickly became an obvious one that you wanted to go down uh, as, you know, the athletics career was kind of dropping back or did it, were there circumstances, specific circumstances that made it uh, the logical progression really? Yeah, it was probably just a, a natural progression as you as you get older and slower, um, and injuries start to creep in. You know, you, you you start to find other avenues, and by that stage, I'd already started you know um, helping some people casually, um, and then you know before I started forming my own business and um, operating you know as a full time coach, um, and so and then once you know as you get more and more athletes, you, more and more attention has to be given to them. So um, your own kind of um, you know, performances kind of peter out and, um, you know, now I just, I just find, you know, pleasure in going out for a run or a ride or a swim every day and just, you know, being fit, but not really training for anything or, you know, trying to, trying to win any races. I don't really have any desire to line up on a start line anymore. So, um, yeah, so that kind of, that, that part of my life is, is pretty much gone. Um, now I'm just, you know, helping those who really still really want to do that, um, do it to their best ability. I've got a long kind of history in the sport um, and, you know, I've got a, a degree in sports science and um, I worked as a personal trainer in a gym and then I worked in the athletics industry as a, you know, in an agent capacity and then um, in an admin capacity and, you know, and then it just kind of flowed onto coaching. So it's, it's been a kind of a lifetime of it. And, you know, through your career, were there coaches that you had that, you know, you've tried to either emulate or, or, well, things that you've been been able to bolt on to how you coach that were the result of people that you've worked with in the past as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's just a natural thing, isn't it? You, you know, you work with um, a coach and then, you know, things that, you know, you really admire out of, out of them and things that they do and the way they interact with you or the way, you know, the prescription that they give you, um, you kind of take that on board as something that was really successful and you try and use that where you can um doesn't always work for everyone but you you know you've got to be able to read the person and know um you know what what's actually going to work for them and so to have 
kind of a long history in the sport and then to be to go into coaching um you kind of develop those experiences and um you know you learn you start to learn what's what's going to work and what's what's not going to work for people or at least to recognize what's going to happen or you know that, that it's happening i guess as well if you're screwing something up then you really want to be able to recognize that pretty quickly you've worked in sport for all your life then essentially um how how is the life of, of the sports agent <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I worked. I, well, I wasn't. Well, I wasn't the agent necessarily. I worked in the agency, um, right. but it was. Um, I worked for um, Kim McDonald, who was out of London. Um, those who are, are my era will know him very well. Um, he w- worked with a lot of the top um, Kenyan athletes of the time. Um, we had a whole stable of, you know, world record holders and Olympic champions, um, and so it was. You know, it was an amazing kind of four years of my life where I got to work in, you know, a really, really high performance environment and um, see how those guys operated and um, just learnt heaps from them. So, yeah, um, probably the most famous is Daniel Komen, the 3,000-metre world record holder um, still to this day. They tried to break it last weekend in um, Monaco, but um, like every other attempt since he broke it has, has failed. And, um, yeah, so, um, it, you know, it was an amazing, amazing time in my life. And, being involved in that mm. and being on the front line of a of sport in a country like New Zealand where it's like you know so highly regarded part of the national psyche and so on and then to kind of come across someone like Hayden Wild and get to appreciate what he is going to be able to contribute in you know what has been and it inevitably is like the cyclical nature of a sport like triathlon in New Zealand right you know the highs and lows and which whether you're Australia or the States or Great Britain, every, you know, every nation goes through that, don't they? Um, yeah. But yeah, so you're 2016. Can you just, yeah, how, how you met with Hayden? What were the circumstances there? And um, yeah, how, how did you meet? Was that in, is it Tuarunga, did you say? Is that where you're? Yeah, Tuarunga. So, um, yeah, so he'd done, um, I think the, um, cross tri worlds and exterior worlds that year, and he'd won the, the junior grade, and then he'd watched Rio um, and wanted decided he wanted to go to the Olympics. So, so that was kind of his impetus of um, going. All right, I'm going to have a crack at this and see if I can get there. Um, and yeah, he we kind of contacted later in that year and um, started working together in maybe like November of 2016 or something like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, he was he was a, obviously an extremely talented athlete, um, but he wasn't he wasn't exactly flying back in those days. I mean, I think the first the first race we sent him to was a five k on the track, and um, he ran well north of sixteen minutes, um, which is you know a long way from where he is at the moment. So, um, so it's been a long progression to where he's got where he's got to, um, but I and I still think there's plenty more to go. Um, yeah, I think the next probably three or four years we'll definitely see the best of him. So to go from a 5k north of 16 minutes to, to like you said, what he is doing now, you obviously saw that the potential in him then though, presumably you're not at that stage thinking Olympic podiums, but what was it that you kind of noticed that specifically about him that you, you felt you could definitely kind of work with and get your teeth into? Yeah, well, actually it was probably prior to that, that maybe kind of, pay real attention to him because and it was the first time we'd ever met and he he beat me in a road race and it's a bit of a funny story but he um yeah we we went to went to this half marathon well I went to it and um 
there was a thousand bucks for first place and I went there pretty cocky thinking I was going to be able to pick up the, pick up the thousand bucks. And, but I did know there's this young multi-sport guy, Tatum Wild, who was going to attend. So, um, but I wasn't really too worried about him. I think he was only 18 at the time. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, it should be a piece of cake. Um, and we get into this race and he, he smashes me over the last couple of K and I tried every trick in the book to get rid of him and yeah, I just couldn't. And he beat me. And I'm, so on that day, I was like, man, this kid's tough, you know, like, um, and you know, then we kind of talked later on and kind of learned a bit more about how he was actually, um, what he was actually doing to be as fit as he was or to be as good as he was. And, you know, quickly realized that he had a lot of, a lot of growth um, to go. And if he was, you know, that kind of gritty, determined young athlete that he, that beat me in a half marathon, then, you know, there certainly had to be a lot more in the tank than he was showing at that point in time. So, um, yeah, so that was probably the, um, the first indication for me that he was, you know, something special and was going to go a long way if he, you know, could get all the, um, all the bits of triathlon, you know, in the right order and correct. Um, I do remember saying to him early doors um, that he was going to be really limited by his swim. Um, and cause he wasn't swimming at all really at that point. Um, he'd only just kind of just started in the pool. So it was, um, yeah, so that, and to this day, it's still it's still as Achilles' heel as everyone knows. But um, I think the Commonwealth Games um, swim in the last couple of weeks really showed the level that he's actually at with the swimming. He just needs the right conditions to to show it. So um, hopefully that'll be the something for the future that he can get to the front of those swim packs. So that having seen Rio twenty sixteen triathlon um, and realised that that was where he wanted to be, was that? presumably like you know just to be part of the olympics to start with but also like that that drive to get there and that grit is that you know where does he where does that come from in you know it's one of those things that you can't obviously teach someone but you knew pretty early on did you that he had that just self that spirit within him to to be able to push himself to to what he's able to do yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was clearly someone who was extremely driven and determined to get where he wanted to go. Um, I probably sat back, you know, in the back of my mind thinking, you know, he's got a tough road to get there. Um, his chances of making it to the Olympics are probably pretty slim at this point, you know, and having, not having done, you know, many road triathlons at all. Um, getting to that level in four years is probably probably not going to happen, but I'm not going to say that to him, you know straight away I'm going to you know I'm going to tell him that oh let's give it a go and we'll see what happens and I'm pretty sure that's kind of what I said to him exactly um and you know just encouraging that that belief in himself and that desire to be as good as he can and to to push um the limits is you know something you want to inspire rather than you know crush with uh, reality yeah <laughs> definitely but I mean <laughs> but he does have a very interesting uh, demeanor for for someone that can do what he does right he it comes across incredibly laid back and a man who just loves doing what he's doing right but you obviously see another side of him as well yeah yeah I mean he does come across that way and and for the most part he is but there are times when um you know like anyone the pressure gets to him a bit and um uh things don't go I wasn't, smooth, that, that, I wasn't that, fishing that for like no no no, <laughs> no, no, but no. no you know in terms of like what what he can do in training and what he presumably at some point you're 
you know, you've just won an Olympic medal, you're going for a world championships, you've got the Super League coming up. And I don't know, for someone who comes across so laid back, his his drive must also be as enormous as his ability to talk after a race or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just interested as to how that manifests itself on a kind of day-to-day basis on the training ground and so on as well. Yeah, well, he doesn't, um, I mean, uh, something I encourage to, but he doesn't put limits on stuff. Um, always, you know, willing to give everything a go um, and, you know, not not afraid, you know, to, you know, to have a crack at a really hard session or, um, you know, line up against anyone in the world. He's not he's not scared to, to have a go. Um, and whereas a lot of people would be a little bit scared of failing, um, but that, you know, that's not even in his conscience. It's just... Um, you know, just oh, I'm going to have a crack at this, and um, if I if it doesn't work out, then okay, maybe next time. Um, that's that's probably the mentality he takes into thing in, into races, and that's and into training, and that's um, you know something I encourage as well. Um, Sam Tanner is exactly the same uh, mentality um, around his racing and training, so yeah, that they complement each other really well. And as part of the, the beauty of triathlon, I suppose, is the, you know, the physiological differences between that there is no <clears throat> off the peg athlete, right? How, so you, your background is in sports science as well. Like how much, you know, I've, I've interviewed Harold Fighton, I've interviewed Ian O'Brien and both coming from quite different opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of the science that they bring into it. What is it that you're measuring in Hayden? Oh, yeah, interesting because I, I mean, even though I do have a sports science degree, um, I, I don't think of myself as a coach who coaches with a lot of science. So I, I, I tend to think of myself, and it might be a bit stupid to say, but uh, more of an artist than a than a scientist. Um, and and I think that's, I think it's a little bit different from a lot of coaches out there. And, and I, I, I tend to want to hear how they how they're going, how the how the training went, how the session felt, um, rather than looking at the numbers. Um, cause I, I think a lot of times, you know, you can have that conversation and they will tell you what, you know, how something has gone and then you can verify it with the numbers. Um, but if you just read the numbers alone, it doesn't always tell you the full picture. Um, so I think I take that approach more often than not. Um, and you know, we don't use any, um, we don't use any metrics for, uh, for his for their running it's all um just based on you know on pace or um or time and distance like we know that we don't use heart rates or any power pods or anything like that so um a little bit old school in that capacity probably but um it, it tends to uh, tends to be working so all that metal with it i think there's always a, a time and a place for digging into um, some data um, after a session um but it's not every session it needs to be like that um so yeah time and a place i think mm. when you see you know your, your blumenfelds and so on and going in the laboratory and testing everything to the max and so on like where where do you stand on that as far as like the future of the sport goes um it is alex and hayden alex here and hayden's performances kind of proof that you don't have to go down that route and you can rely on on natural talent as well and and so on or yeah what, what's your perspective there yeah i mean i think i think there are there's more than one way to skin a cat as they say so um you know obviously the norwegian you know approaches to um 
I was going to say something I probably shouldn't say on a podcast, but um, it's to use a lot of science. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the only way to do it. So, um, yeah, and, and it has been done for a long time where people haven't used that degree of science. I know it's all on trend at the moment, and a lot of people are trying to um, find ways to mimic what they're what they're up to. Um, but I don't think it's one hundred percent necessary. So. He, Hayden went into or you know started 2020 having had I, I guess like a couple of his breakthrough races almost to that point had been a couple of brilliant um mixed relays um but to go from there into lockdown and then come out and get your fifth place in Leeds and so on what, what particularly when on the surface lockdown looked so difficult for athletes from Oceania not being able to kind of get out there and use those opportunities, those few opportunities that there were to raise. So um, were you able to take him aside and use it as a positive? Yeah. So one of the, one of the big things is that we, obviously we were locked down uh, in New Zealand. We were, we were basically locked in the country for well, pretty much all of 2020. Um, and, and it wasn't until, 2021 when we he was able to get out and go and race and that was that race in Leeds um but I think what it did do over that time in 2020 is it allowed us to just to you know reset and just create a massive base so he you know he was just training week in and week out big mileage um just doing the things that you know he needed to do to to be as strong and as robust as possible um you know, after the Tokyo test event in 2019, we knew he can get to the front of the race. Um, we can be there, we can be competitive, um, but we just need to be able to finish those races off. So it was, you know, get on the track here in New Zealand, you know, learn to be a bit more tactical, um, be astute in the racing, learn learn your craft um, and, and, you know, try and deliver a performance at the end of that race that, that can, you know, win or win a medal at least. Um, but that's not easy to do on a track as well, right? No, it's not. And, you know, and we were, we had all of New Zealand's top runners back in New Zealand. So it was really, it was a really good environment for him to be able to get into and, you know, learn some race craft. And, you know, his, his good friend and training partner here is Sam Tanner, who's just ran 331, 1500. So anytime you can better him over, the, over a track race at any distance, you know, you're doing pretty well. So, um, so those two work really well together and complement each other so that that period was was awesome in that respect um it was really difficult not being able to race pre-tokyo um we only got permission to leave the country to go to leeds very late in the piece so it was only about a month before leeds that he, we were given the green light to be able to travel so um yeah it was a kind of bit of a rush job to try and get ready for leeds and then it was get there and then try and see you know, what kind of form you're in, how hard can you make it, how hard can you push on the bike, how hard can you go out on the run and still survive and, you know, what does the, the base fitness look like? Um, and it looked pretty good, you know, like it wasn't the smartest way to race, but it certainly taught us um, a few things about his, his, you know, level of fitness and the performance on that day. So and then we spent the next, whatever it was, six weeks or five weeks getting ready for Tokyo and just, fine-tuning what we needed to to you know deliver on the day so mm. and if Leeds what was the plan b if Leeds hadn't if you hadn't had permission to go there I mean it would have just been staying in New Zealand and then direct to Tokyo and just not having had that 
experience among you know alongside the best to, to base the next block off yeah we had um we had permission to go to australia so the rest of the new zealand team went to australia in that in that period um and they were there and they did some oceania cup racing which was a pretty good level but it's still it's still not you know world series level so um that would have been plan b um to go there just and a lot of the reason it was good to go there for them is um to get out of the new zealand winter um and it's, australia's always a little bit warmer than here so um you know it's, winter here is pretty pretty rough it's um kind of five degrees and raining right now so from the west of england so i can feel that uh, <laughs> a summer's day for you yeah exactly <laughs> and was sam also in tokyo yes he was yeah yes and was that his first olympics yes so you're, you're two first olympians and obviously in under normal circumstances you would have been there in a heartbeat yes absolutely yeah we'd um we'd all booked to go in 2020 um but obviously that all got canned and then um yeah 2021 we weren't able to leave the country or um weren't able to get into to japan as a uh, spectator or anyone not associated with the olympic committee so um yeah pretty 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 hard to sit here in new zealand and watch um watch it all unfold on the tv and not be part of it you know so um, but it was one of those one of those things that we couldn't avoid what was your demeanor during the race like you're kind of you know <laughs> are you stood up for the majority of it screaming at the telly are you no i'm, I'm normally pretty calm but i yeah. probably more anxious of that race because I knew I knew what kind of form he had and I knew how much it meant so um it was one of those things where you know I just wanted to sit quietly in my in my lounge um I think my brother-in-law and my wife were the only ones here so we just sat and watched um together and yeah just just hope that it all came came together could you see Hayden there when when the interview came on and so on like was there like a long wait after before you could kind of effectively get what you would normally get after a race which is a bit of feedback and obviously this is it's not direct to you but still just to you know to know where he is after that race must have been foremost on your mind as well really yeah it was and um the broadcaster I, I think was just the normal like the international broadcaster everyone got but as soon as the race w- was finished they cut to um the New Zealand media who were in the mix zone um, and Hayden had stopped there for an interview. So, and actually I was, I think I was on the interview because I was talking to him on the phone as, as <laughs> I was being broadcasting that live. So I was, uh, lucky I did something inappropriate, um, but it was, yeah, it was pretty, it was a pretty cool moment, you know, um, I don't, obviously everyone's seen the interview and, you know, he's pretty emotional and um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a special time. And, it, you know, when you think back to 2016, when he was, kind of wanting to go to the Olympics and that was kind of his goal. And then to walk away four years later with a, with a medal was pretty cool. It's amazing to see an athlete like that grab every opportunity that, that comes his way and look like he's just loving every minute of it as well. And, you know, what he and Alex Yee and what they've all brought to, to the racing over the last season, like the, the youngsters coming through, like a Matt Hauser, a Vasco Velasa even, has, has really kind of shaken things up a bit, hasn't it? And to, to the huge credit of of the sport over certainly like since Tokyo perhaps tail end of last season those lineups were missing some of the big stars from from the Olympics but but this season has been absolutely phenomenal it has yeah it's thrown up some um, really interesting ones um you know I think there's a natural 
um, changing of the guard and progression of, of young athletes coming through and older athletes who, you know, were once dominating, you know, um, not dominating anymore. So, I mean, it'll happen to Hayden and Alex, you know, you know, give it four mm-hmm. or five years, the same thing will happen to them and new, new athletes will roll through and um, take over that mantle. So, um, you know, they've got to, they've got to enjoy the moment in the sun and make, make every opportunity count um, and take advantage of it all. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some amazing talent uh, coming through. Um, I've been watching um, young Jamie Riddle from South Africa, who's um, kind of burst onto the scene in the last, in the last six months. And he's, um, you know, he's one to watch too in the future. He's a, he's a talented young man. I think that sort of fearless riding and, and perhaps having that many come through out of lockdown and then having those race opportunities after the Olympics to, to get on those WTCS start lines has really like accelerated a big bunch of, of athletes progression through. Right. And whereas perhaps everyone was maybe waiting for Vance St. Louis to, to come back and produce what we all knew he could do. He's not had the time to, or the races to be able to do that because there are people impacting the races and several of them. It's not just like one here or there, or, you know, there's several of them that are keen to sort of take the race by the scruff of the neck and, and really mix things up. Yeah, and I think if you go back even further to um, Alistair, and you know he was he was a dominant figure in the in the group, and you know he drove the breakaway, and he'd be barking at people and taking control of the race. Whereas I don't think there is that personality in the field at the moment, and so everyone's just a gunslinger, and um, you know having having a go, um, and they're not afraid to you know go to the front and dial it up or to have an attack or um, you know go together in, in a breakaway. They're just it's just um, yeah it's just all go and it's, it's awesome to watch. It's, it makes it, it makes it really fascinating because you just never know kind of quite what's going to happen. Jamie was on here a couple of weeks ago and, and, you know, he said Alistair was very much the sort of the inspiration, but there may not be any Alistair style gunslingers in there at the moment, but they're all very much influenced by that, what he was doing. Right. And, and that has kind of fueled their, the way they, they cycle and, and, you know, Hayden very much influencing that in a very short period of time as well, right? I mean, his bike skills are up there with the the very best. And, uh, you know, some might say he takes the odd risk where because of that ability, he's doing things that a large pack maybe isn't used to. And and that can cause its own problems in, in some senses as well. I mean, you know, by his own admission, what happened in Leeds was, yeah, hugely unfortunate, but you know, he's racing hard and fast and taking lines that perhaps other people can't. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he, he, I mean, his bike skills are, are, are amazing. And, um, I, yeah, I think that was a, that was a really unfortunate incident and, you know, it sucked, um, to see Johnny go down and, um, and Alex and, and our, and our other Kiwi Dylan McCulloch was involved as well. So it was, it, you know, it was horrible for them to go down and, and then for Johnny to be hurt like he was. Um, it would have been great to see him at the Com Games. Um, but, you know, that is, it is, it is bike racing. Um, those kind of crashes happen every day in a, in a large peloton and, you know, in the pro um, UCI circuit. So um, I guess people's level of riding needs to be, um, to be at the, at the right level so that they're not, you know, getting mixed up if they, um, if, if they're not in the right place at the right time or not paying attention. So 
the mental toughness again that something like that will add to his racing i'm not saying it was a good thing in any way but to have emerged from it unscarred so to speak um must have been very gratifying for you as well and, and presumably for him to look back on and be like right that's compartmentalized and to you know to come out of something like that feeling like you've handled it well when it was a very heated race with two of the biggest names it was in britain and you know there was there was a i, I guess a lot of opportunity for for wheels to have come off or to have escalated in some sense would you agree yeah yeah and he handled it well um you know, certainly immediately post-race and then um, after that as well. Um, I, I, I think it did, you know, it did affect him. He was he was up genuinely upset, um, you know, after the fact that, it, you know, those guys had went down and got hurt and, you know, um, I don't know. I've never seen the footage of what actually happened, so I, I can't even comment on mm-hmm. on this, on what did occur. Um, so, yeah, but, I, you know, I think it's um, – he'll take that into his, his future racing and um, – Hopefully it doesn't happen again. Hopefully no one else crashes, but um, I'm sure they will. That's what happens in bike races, yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah, I think he was, ob- yeah, he was obviously upset, but it ca- it came across as uh, as genuine, and it's not every athlete that would have perhaps held himself up quite as well as it, it, he did after that, and uh, I think that's all credit to him. Yeah, very mature uh, way to handle it, and. Another race in which, like, the talking points in both the men's and women's were numerous, and you had Vanson, you know, going into the barrier that is something that nobody ever would really thought was a Vanson thing to do, right? And I wondered if if that was another, you know, just those little things that could be the product of the kind of pressure that he feels under by your Haydens, your Alex Yees, and Jamie Riddles, and so on. That, yeah, I don't know if you just had a, a, a sort of take on that. It just seemed like such a, a an unvincent thing to do that, um, yeah, obviously kind of enhanced what was a pretty spectacular moment anyway. Yeah, I mean, that was a really, really bizarre uh, thing to happen. Um, and I, I I, did look at it at the time and think, oh, even the breakaway itself with him and Leo, and I, I looked and I thought, oh, you know, these guys, it's a very calculated move and um, – that they're definitely trying to distance themselves from um, those guys who have outrun them in the last few races um, and working hard together on the front and then to make that error um, probably just indicated the pressure that they were under to deliver uh, what they wanted to um, on that day. Um, didn't quite um, come off how they wanted it, but you know, that, that was a very strange situation Um yeah, I don't know if there was any chatter between those two before they got to that dismount line, but it certainly um, certainly didn't uh, be communicated very well. How, you know, for a, a, another major games, the Com Games build up, What? how was your approach to it? You know, was it seen as, I mean, obviously the world title, the Super League, it, it was Com Games up there with them in terms of kind of goals for, for the season and what you wanted to get out of it? Yeah, I mean, for, for New Zealand, it's a pretty big deal, much like it was in the UK, uh, for the general public. Um, you know, Hayden could have won the Commonwealth Games and won the World Series, and they wouldn't know what the World Series was for the most part. Um, but, you know, in terms of our funding streams for the program, uh, the Com Games is important as well. So it, it does um, hold a pretty high place for us in, in, in importance for the year. 
Um, so yeah, so it was definitely one that we were, were tar- targeting and focused on um, getting a really good result there. So which you know, I don't know if we're going to go into the the incident, but um, it was you know it, it was definitely a satisfying race. We were you know happy with the outcome um, d- despite the penalty. Yeah, I mean to be it was an unusual position for him to find himself in and presumably one that wasn't as planned for. I don't know. If you're used to being the chaser and suddenly you're the chased, that's got to throw your race tactics quite upside down, does it? Yeah. And funnily enough, uh, we, we ran through, you know, three or four race scenarios, you know, prior to the race and, you know, plant just, bit of planning and discussion and not one of those scenarios was him being in a break. <laughs> So, so or not not out of the water anyway yeah. so um yeah so it was yeah it was really bizarre and i was actually standing kind of just up from the swim pontoon and you know the the first few athletes came out of the water and ran up and i was kind of looking back i was like i always hate when someone goes he's already gone <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. um so yeah I, I i didn't anticipate that we I, i'm sure he didn't expect to be there either um but yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic swim. But it does it does show the work that he's done, you know. And he is he is actually a really capable swimmer um, when he gets the right environment. And he got the, a really good start and just got him got himself on good feet. And yeah, was able to hold on to um, Jamie and and Taylor and the way they went. Yeah, no doubt. And if you have been living under a rock, then the incident is obviously that you mentioned was the uh, the helmet, um, you know, unclipping before racking the bike and. I mean, that's it's been studied tirelessly, indeed, in the immediate aftermath of the race as well. But um, you know, it, in in a sport where those fine margins are so important, then and, and the, the transition is, you know, is, is critical um, and ever more so, I guess. Yeah, difficult one to um, talk about. We're we're still we're still in um, an appeal process through World Triathlon over that incident, so. Um, I probably won't go into it too much, but, um, you know, personally, when I watched the footage and I've watched it, I don't know, dozens of times on, in real time and in slow motion from a couple of different angles, um, my take is that it was a, like a brilliantly timed transition. Um, and it was, you know, a, a textbook example of how to rack a bike and take a helmet off almost simultaneously. Um, and I think, and again, my personal, I'll, I'll preface it, my, my personal feeling is that the rule is a safety rule and there's no safety breach um, at all in that instance. So, um, and in real time, you know, it'd be, I, I, you know, it's a challenging, a challenging call, that's for sure. Again, his reaction afterwards was the mark of the man as well, right? I, yeah, he must have known that it was at best incredibly close. So uh, to sort of almost have accept it, I wonder if like there was a sort of there was a certain frustration in there, there would have perhaps been other athletes that would have been so furious and just kicked on and gone right stuff it. I'm going to win this race and you know and then whatever we'll we'll deal with the situation after. Um, his sportsmanship default was was as impressive as I wonder if it was slightly frustrating for the team that you know then are going through this process. Yeah, I mean, uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't have known because I shouted to him 
um, just before the end of the first lap that it had a penalty, but he wouldn't have known what the penalty was for. So he would have kind of gone into that second lap having no, no inkling of why, you know, he'd been given a penalty. Um, and cause in the board, it just said a violation. So it's just, uh, you know, no, he was number, whatever it was, number one, I think might've been one V. So it was just a violation. So he had no idea, you know, what the, what the penalty was all about. So he, you know, just had to change his game plan. Um, and, he probably knew at that point when I told him that Alex was going to win the race because he had a, you know, had to serve a 10 second penalty. So, um, yeah, it definitely had a massive impact on the, on the outcome. Um, and you know, I certainly on a personal level was, was really disappointed that we didn't get to see, um, you know, the showdown that we were, you know, that was going to be delivered up for us in that last lap of the run. So, yeah. But maybe next time they race. <laughs> Almost certainly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, those two in action at the moment have, have certainly been bringing the entertainment. And the yeah, spotlight so. on on Hayden has been, you know, incredibly strong. How, you know, those specific incidents, whether it was the the crash in Leeds or the the way he responded to to the Com Games penalty, <clears throat> again, have shown the maturity of of the fella. Uh, He's now certainly among the favourites to be world champion this year. He's got the Super League coming up. And how have you seen him responding to what what is like a very sudden burst into into the absolute spotlight and being, you know, there's, there's nowhere to hide when you're at the pointy end of those races, when you're the one dictating, when you're the one taking the gold and then the subject of the chatter and the, you know, the dissection of the races and so on. Is that... Is that something that he's reveled in? Do you think? Um, oh, look, I I don't know that it actually bothers him at all. Like, I think he kind of gets on um, with the post race kind of interviews and you know any kind of requests for uh, media and stuff, and just and just gets on with it, and then puts it behind him and and start you know focusing on what what the real objectives of the season are. Um, yeah, I don't think he spends too much time dwelling on that kind of stuff. Mm. And what are the goals for the for the rest of the season how's it how's it panning out for him oh he wants to win everything is what he wants to do <laughs> <laughs> he's got that like kind of right if it's put in front of me i'm doing it kind of vibe is he yeah 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 he'll race you to the uh race you to the kitchen um <laughs> you know he um well he's obviously got collins cup this weekend um so that'll be a really interesting kind of challenge for him um something completely different and mm. um yeah, it'll be, be. I really have no idea how he's going to go. It'll, it'll probably depend on who he's matched up against, I think, as to what kind of performance he'll be able to deliver there. Um, and then after that, Super League and, um, and then on the World Series final. So, yeah, it'll be, you know, that'll be the the, the end of the season. Um, maybe, a, maybe a half Ironman towards the end of the year to, to negotiate. Um, that and see which one if if he does one which one it is. Um, but yeah, the 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 grand final in, in Abu Dhabi is definitely the focus, and mm. we're still we're still toying with the idea of going to Bermuda, um, but not one hundred percent firm on that yet. Yeah, be interesting to see. Um, yeah, where the where the challenge comes from. I'm I'm anticipating Alex will go to Kagalari and to um, Bermuda to draw level one points and then it'll be a showdown in, in Abu Dhabi. So, yeah. Yeah. 
your sort of end of season debrief and look back and so on after last year, um, the season of seasons. But then is that is that a period that you always quite look forward to as well with your athlete? Obviously somewhat dependent on how the season has gone, how much you look forward to it. But these kind of cycles that you inevitably go through, you know, that's got to be one of the best parts of being a coach, isn't it? Like looking back at what you've done, what you've implemented and, and what you want to do next and getting the buy-in from the athlete to, to go on that journey with you. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we obviously do um, debriefs after every race where we sit down and talk about kind of how it went and what went right and wrong and um, what, you know, how can we, how can we change things that, that went wrong and see if we can get them right next time. So, and again, at the end of the season, we'll do the same thing and just, you know, try and try and get a, a good understanding of what we can what we can impact for the following year or the the whole next cycle going through to Paris. Um, yeah, so which is always an interesting challenge. You know, sometimes you have such a good season and you're like, well, what is there to fix? You know, <laughs> but there's always there's always something to fix because there's always um, you know a new gunslinger coming to town with you know um, some new weapons. So we need to make sure that we're keeping on top of um the, those guys as well and um knowing what's coming absolutely well we all look forward to how that is going to play out and i know you're a busy man so just want to say thanks ever so much it's been a, a great chat and run through of very interesting times in, in triathlon no doubt appreciate the time yeah well thanks very much for having me all right it's been a pleasure